0: Welcome to Exploring the Marketplace podcast. My co host is Bob Hassan, and we are creating a conversation with Christian marketplace leaders who have careers that have been impacted by their
1: faith. We are also answering your questions about entrepreneurship, business leadership, careers, and how the kingdom of God changes your impact in the marketplace. Come join the conversation now. Welcome to Exploring the Marketplace. I'm Bob Hassan with Sean Bowles. How are you, Sean? I'm so good.
0: I'm so glad we're doing this episode because Michael Hyatt is somebody I want to hear from. And I know a lot of our listeners would want to hear from him. And it's cool to kind of cross-pollinate streams, too, because he's not in any kind of the places that we normally are in as far as church-wise. But as far as the marketplace space, a man of faith, he's exactly where we want to be.
1: Yeah, he's amazing. He has his company that I think he formed 10 years ago called the Michael Hyatt Michael Hyatt and Company. Uh, is he's a, he's a leadership consultant. He's written a number of books. He's he's i a, a, I'm reading his bio as you're saying it. 250
0: million in publishing with 700 plus employees, and their company has grown 60 percent over the last four years. I mean, and this is publishing. Publishing is dying everywhere, and they're killing it right now, mm-hmm. which is and you know the fi- top 5,000 list of fastest growing companies in America according to Inc, as well as 2020's list of best places to work. I mean, yes. This is the kind of, I love when God raises somebody up. And then even like in these national publications are saying, this is one of the best places you can work. And it really comes from this man of faith who's written this incredible book. He's written lots of books, but he's written this incredible book Mm -hmm. about work-life balance, which makes me think we're going to be asking questions about the book. And I would love to hear his perspective because he talks about this concept of double win, which he'll explain to us on the podcast. But like with you and I, we've talked a lot about work-life balance and just having the right boundaries around, you know, where, so we can win at home or we can win at work. And for you, you've had 45 years of, you know, career. How has that been for you? And I know personally, but I want to hear our audience to hear.
1: Well, I, it's interesting because the notion of um, equal parts of our life, I, I think, is a misnomer. I think that some of us have jobs that uh, that that take, incredible amounts of production if we're working on projects and and we'll seem out of balance but then you know it, it's our responsibility when the project's done to take the time to get ourselves back into balance and i know like if you think about um the tampa bay buccaneers just won the super bowl tom brady is a quarterback whether or not you like him or not um
0: i'm not going to comment
1: Yes, but at any rate, they won the Super Bowl, and they had this incredible season and process up to it. And then on Sunday after they win the Super Bowl, the project is over, and they are celebrating and taking time off and recharging their batteries. And I think that that's you know important thing to think about whether you have uh, short term projects or long term projects. That that uh, taking the time to prioritize your family is is the most important thing. We don't wanna get isolated. We don't wanna compartmentalize. We 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 want to be present, you know, wherever we are.
0: Well, I think that's the biggest problem is that for, you know, Street night Times, we'll do a push season, like uh, we call it push season, where it's like, we're gonna do a lot of things at once and then have a normal balanced time after that, like where we have less to do. Doesn't mean we don't work, you know, a good amount of time still, but we just have a lot less projects or things that take our attention or space. And every once in a while in our marriage in the last 10 years, I would say at least three of those years, we push too long and too hard. Mm-hmm. And then we get into a place of imbalance. So where one of us feels like we're going to break down from just the pressure and the weight of everything we're doing, or, or doesn't feel supported by the other one or whatever it is. And uh, that's been something that we've had to learn, like w- when to end that push or when to end that project or when, or, or how to have that kind of capacity all the way through the finish line, even because a lot of times just like a race, if you're running a race that lasts a little bit, you're like dying, you know? And I feel like a lot of work, if you're a project person, like you have projects, contract projects, I have projects. Some of you out there don't have projects. You're a doctor and it's a grind every day. It's what you do. Um, but, but I think, you know, living this balance between marriage and family and being a person who loves church and being involved in church and doing my career and all these things, it's, that's the biggest challenge I think I find in my life is to have that, healthy, being present, like you said, everywhere. But I love that we talk about it. You and I challenge each other towards it all the time.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's hard and it's really good. And whatever the length of, you know, your projects are, whether they're short, like you mentioned a doctor who is, you know, we have friends who are doctors who are just grinding all the time. They have to, they have to regularly plan time for their family and for themselves. Uh, I think I think it's so important. Well, up next, we have Michael Hyatt, who wrote a book with his daughter, Megan, When at Work, Succeed at Life. Coming up next.
0: Do you want to be mentored in hearing God's voice? It's not hard, but it takes time, examples, practice, and conversations to really get in the place of being able to get revelation and also to know how to interpret and reply what God's showing you. I have started an online community through our platform, Transiting God Mentoring, where you receive weekly videos, weekly live group mentoring, monthly special events, and all of our past e-courses on the gifts, marriage, and relevant topics to your spiritual journey. Come join me and all my platform contributors to learn how to walk out a thriving journey of hearing God. Well, welcome to Exploring the Marketplace, and we have our guest, Michael Hyatt, on right now. And Michael, we've just given your bio, but I mean, it's so incredible to have you and all that you've done just to be able to hear from you and hear some of the nuggets of this current season you're in it's just to me it's an essential conversation i'm so glad you're here
2: well thank you thanks for having me on it's an honor
0: well we're more honored than you are i'm sure right bob
1: (laughs) (laughs) well we're here you just wrote a new book with your daughter when it works a seed at life and we want to get into that and talk to you about the book and everything that went into it but Michael, you've had a long and distinguished career, and I was wondering, like, can you go back in time and think about um, how, when you started, did you have a vision that you would be in this place? Uh, how, did, how did God speak to you around that? Well, I would say
2: that God has exceeded my wildest dreams. That's awesome. Yeah. You know, and, and the Scripture says that if we ask Him, He'll do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. And he really has done that in my life. And that's not to say that there hasn't been ups and downs. You know, I, I sometimes jokingly say that I failed my way to success, and I have. I've made <laughs> bad decisions. Um, I'm sure we'll get into it. We talk about the book. But, you know, I've had family crises, times when I was overworking, and times when I was completely out of balance. I mm-hmm. uh, went through a business failure in the 90s. And so, yeah, you know, I've, I've gone to the school of hard knocks. And it hasn't always been smooth sailing, but I also wouldn't trade those experiences for anything in the world because it's out of that, that, you know, that God's able to redeem those experiences and be able to help other people. And so I think it was Henry Nowen who once referred to himself and wrote a book called The Wounded Healer. And, um, you know, to the extent that I'm able to help people, it's because I've been wounded and much of it self-inflicted. (laughs)
0: I'm sure many people are encouraged by hearing that right now. You know, I want to ask you just about just, we'll go into the book and I want to ask you some just questions about this. I know Bob does too, but this whole concept of double win, having a win in your personal life and your career life has been, we've been so fractured, right? I mean, I think it's the way society has run for so long. You define that really well in the book, but talk about double win because it's now kind of a catchphrase in a way of this new season of your writing and your life. Yeah. And, and let me
2: set that up, if you don't mind, Sean, with the story, Good. because I think we'll, we'll help people to relate to this and kind of get the idea of the double win. So back in the year 2000, um, I was given responsibility at Thomas Nelson Publishers for one of their 14 book publishing divisions. Mm-hmm. So at the time, Thomas Nelson Publishers was the, was the largest faith based publisher in the world, largest Bible publisher in the world, and also the seventh largest book publisher in the U.S., And so I was given responsibility for this one division that was dead last in every significant financial metric. It was losing money. It was not growing. It was shrinking. And the CEO said to me, he said, how long do you think it'll take to turn this around? Well, honestly, I didn't have a clue. I'd never done this before, but I said three years. I wanted to buy myself some time. And so he said, well, that's kind of what I was thinking. So yeah, have at it. So I went back to my team who was really tired of losing and I said, look, I think I've got a got a plan a vision for how we can, you know, turn this division around and and you know make an honest try to, to, to be one of the leading divisions in the company. And, and so they bought into the vision. We rolled up our sleeves. I was literally working 70 to 80 hours a week, traveling constantly, not exercising, eating junk food, foregoing vacations, working on the weekends, you know, all the things. But it paid off because It didn't take us three years, but in a year and a half, half the time I told the CEO, we went from number 14 to number one. We're the fastest growing division in the company. And we became the most profitable division of the company. Now, here's what was cool. I got the biggest bonus check I'd ever received in my career. It was more than my annual salary. It was one of those things where I opened the check and I just like laughed out loud. And I, I knew that my wife, Gail, would be super pumped about this. in in a way it kind of validated all the hard work and all the sacrifices that we'd both made. So I, I drove home with this big grin on my face. I could not wait to see her eyes pop out of her head when she saw the size of this check. So I bounced into the living room, unfurled the check, held it up. She looked at it and she was kind of like, not that big a deal. And and she said to me, um, the, the the words that, that still kind of make me tear up. She said, honey, we need to talk. And I knew that probably wasn't going to be a great talk. Right. You know, it was one of those moments where uh, everything was suddenly going to get real. The rubber was about to meet the road. So we went into the den. We sat down. She teared up and she said, um, If I'm honest, she said, First of all, I appreciate all that you've done for our family. I love you with all my heart. But if I'm honest, she said, You're never home. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And she said, Even when you are, you're not really present. You're somewhere else. And she said, your five daughters need you now more than ever. And they were in middle school or high school at that time.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And she said, if I'm really honest, and then she started to cry. She said, I feel like a single mom, and I don't know how much longer I can hang on. Wow. Well, here I was thinking I'd, I'd reached the pinnacle of success. And what I realized in that moment because I began to tear up as she was talking to me, I just said, I, I, "I thought this is this is a false summit," and and I think that when most people are faced with that, they 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 reach what Megan and I call in the book the impossible choice: you can either win at work or you can succeed at life. You can't do both, so pick one. Right. Wow. And faced with that choice. Most people do one of two things. Either they, they opt for what we call in the book the hustle fallacy, which is the idea that you know I'm going to roll up my sleeves, I'm going to work really hard, and I'll eventually get to the place where I can take my foot off the gas and coast a little bit and give attention to the things that really matter. The alternative to that is what we call in the book the ambition break, where people settle for less than they're capable of in their career, and they intentionally throttle back their career so that they can give attention to the things that they know that are the most important. But we believe, and we argue in the book, that that's a false dichotomy. Right. You really can win at work and succeed at life. That's what we call the double win. You just need a new strategy. And that's what we argue in the book.
1: Yeah, that, that's so beautiful. I had in my career, I had the same, the same discussion with my wife. Hmm. Um, I've been married for you know 34 years and have a beautiful, powerful wife that I love dearly and, and and we had the same conversation as you were, as you were just recounting that I was tearing up, remembering my talk with her. Tell us about work-life balance. We hear this, we hear this thrown out everywhere. Yeah, to hear some of that strategy. Yep.
2: Yeah. You know, unfortunately today we have a lot of celebrity entrepreneurs who are saying that it's a myth. Right. You know, and I could name names. One of them we do name in the book is Elon Musk. And we pick on him because he's had so much influence over young entrepreneurs that, you know, we have a big coaching practice, business coaching practice. And we get a lot of these young entrepreneurs who come to us burned out, wrung out in the midst of some kind of crisis because they believed Elon Musk when he said, if if you want to accomplish something significant in the world, Mm -hmm. you need to put in a hundred hours a week. And he literally, we got the quote in the book, he says that. Yep. And what they don't realize is they don't they don't condition, they don't consider the outcome of his way of life, which Hebrews 13 admonishes us to do. And he's now just completed his third divorce. He's got six sons, five of whom, by his own admission, won't talk to him. And you know, that moment in the den, I realized that all that was hanging in the balance. Yeah. And that that if I didn't change the trajectory of my life, that I was going to end up in the same spot. You know, my wife was not, and I wouldn't blame her, was not going to put up with that for much longer. She couldn't. I didn't want to get the, to the end of my life and have my kids not speaking to, her, to me or not wanting to hang out with me. Mm-hmm. So I knew I had to make some changes. So when I hear people say that work-life balance is a myth, and that's so common today. I mean, yeah. just do a Google search on it. Right. I know one of two things when somebody says that. Number one, they've settled. In other words, they can't figure out a solution to the problem, so they're trying to make it go away by denying that it's possible. (laughs) Yes. Or the second thing is that they define balance in a way that I don't define it and that no reasonable person would define it because the the, sort of the implicit definition is that balance means you're giving equal time and attention to every dimension of your life. Yeah. Which if you think about it, is stupid. Like <laughs> I worked out today for 45 minutes. My work day I work six hours a day these days. My entire company does. We do a 30-hour work week. We'll talk more about that in a minute. But I don't need to work out for six hours a day. I don't even spend six hours a day with my wife, Gail. I, we've been married for 43 years. I love her dearly. She loves me. She couldn't stand being with me six hours a day. She doesn't need that for a healthy relationship. I don't need that. But it means giving the appropriate time and attention to each of these dimensions. And what it really means is that you realize that life is more than work and you give the appropriate amount of time to some of these other areas. The other thing about balance too, and I'll I'll just finish my, my comment on this, but balance is something dynamic. It's not like you reach this Zen-like state of, state of balance and you can just like, you know, bask in the glow of balance for the rest of your life. No, it's more like a gymnast walking across a balance beam. It takes (laughs) constant adjustment to stay upright.
1: Yes.
0: It's so so tricky. It's like the, the plan of the plan of actually living a life of balance. It just takes a coordinated planning. And my wife is, my wife's amazing at boundaries. So we've been working through that our whole marriage over 10 years, like where we get back into the calendar and she goes, okay. It feels like too much. Where are we going to, where are we going to like cut off some fat or tell me why it's too much. I've learned so much. Like, you know, now I'm telling her, like, here's where I think, you know, we can shift things or here's where I think I can not plan this in this season, but you know, three months from now and six months from now, I've learned so much from her, but not all of us have my wife. (laughs) (laughs) But I love what you're saying because I think like a lot of the conversations I have, you know, I'm in the entertainment industry out here in Los Angeles. And I would say that the majority of even believers in the entertainment industry have to push for like six or nine months, at least once every three years, where they're, they're, that's the only thing they're doing for six to nine months, a film or a project. And so their work-life balance gets skewed for a little while. So we've been like talking about what does work-life balance look like when you're on a three-month project or you're in New Zealand and your family's here? How do you do that? And I love what you're saying that you, there, there has to be a way to still win and we've been you know those who've been telling our friends and family like let's figure out ways to still win to where you guys don't hate each other in 6 months to where you actually you come back and you integrate in really well because you, there's been a plan there's been a focus there's been and it's also something you've chosen together which i think is yeah. a huge one so i i love what you're saying i think it's just it's so essential and i know it's just one small part of the message in the book tell us about the 30 hour work week oh yeah i'm jealous yeah. i want to hear about
2: well, let me go let me go back to the story that I was telling you about the conversation in the den because the first thing I did was I hired an executive coach. Mm-hmm. He said to me, "Here's the problem with your life from what I can see because we talked like for 3 hours and he said, "Here's here's what I see." He said, "You have no boundaries." And he said, "The only difference between a river and a swamp is that a river has boundaries so that the flow is directed."
0: Oh.
2: And he said, "A swamp, the water's <laughs> going everywhere, and that's your life. You know, <laughs> work is everywhere. Your life is total work." So he said, "The the way that you're going to get some balance back and so that you don't end up with a health crisis or a marriage crisis or a kid crisis is we got to put some constraints around your work. So would you be willing to finish your work at a specific time every day? And that was kind of a new idea because my typical day was I got to the middle of the afternoon. I realized I wasn't going to finish my task list. And I would say to myself, no problem. I could just go home, have a quick bite to eat with the kids pop open my laptop and continue working till midnight. Mm -hmm. Or I would say at the end of the week, when I got to Friday and realized I wasn't gonna finish up for the week, I would say, hey, no problem. I can go to the office on Saturday morning or I can go on Sunday afternoon and I can continue working. I was even the kind of guy that on a vacation would get out, get up two hours before the family just so I could work on that project that I couldn't find time to work on at work. Mm -hmm. And so he said, are you willing to establish 6 p.m. is your, your finish time? And I said, yes. And so, what about the weekends? Yes, I'm willing to not work on the weekends. Vacation, that was a little tougher. And I said, yes, I'm willing to do that too. And he said, okay, great. He said um, that I'm sure you won't mind if I call Gail periodically to check in on you and, <laughs> and see how you do it. Yeah, it was like accountability. Well, I got everything got real got at real. that moment. And he did that. And so, that little bit of accountability was hugely helpful. I'm going to come back to your 30 hour week question, but, but the thing that that did for me is that in the middle of the afternoon, I couldn't afford to get distracted. I couldn't afford to get sidetracked because I realized that six o'clock was coming and that deadline gave me a sense of urgency and focus and greater productivity. It's just like that Friday before you go on vacation, you're uber productive, right?
0: I just did that. Yes.
2: (laughs) Well, that, that can be every day. So yeah. what happened to us in terms of the 30 hour work week is, and we've been, since I founded Michael Hyatt and company just two days ago, as we we're recording, this was our 10 year anniversary. But All since right. I, I founded it, I said, I want no one working more than 40 hours a week. Now I realize there are exceptions to that. And there are times that we go out of balance and we can talk about that, but at least if we're going to do it, we want to be intentional. We don't just want to yeah. drift to that and for that to be normative. So, when the pandemic started, we have, we have about 50 employees. We said, gosh, we've got all these young parents who suddenly have no childcare, no school. It's chaos in their homes. They've got all this environmental stress from the, from the economy. And then as we moved into the summer with the protests and all that, and, and it was crazy. So we said, as an experiment, let's cut our work hours by 25%. So we're going to go to a six-hour workday. And we're not going to dock anybody's pay. Everybody's going to continue to get paid what they were being paid before. But we're going to see if we can maintain our level of productivity at 30 hours a week. After a couple of weeks, check back in with the executive team. We were like, we can't tell any difference. I mean, everything seems on track. Projects are getting done. Meaningful stuff's getting done. People are just making better choices.
0: Wow!
2: So then we decided to roll with it through the summer. Worked great. Same thing. So then at strategic planning uh, in September, the executive team, we said, okay, this is going to be a permanent benefit at Michael Hyatt & Company. And we finished 2020, get this, 52% ahead of our profit budget, which was already aggressive, and 101% ahead of the prior year. And 2019 had been the most profitable year we'd ever had. So as counterintuitive as it sounds,
1: this was a case where we were able to
2: achieve more by doing less.
1: We experienced the same thing in our company through the pandemic. I'm in the construction business and our office, we didn't meet. And I thought we are going to lose productivity. We're going to lose our metrics. We're going to lose all of what we've built and exactly what you just described happened. Wow. We didn't go down to 30
0: hours a week, but yeah, I, I get what you're saying. It's just like changing the atmosphere and the environment for our employees and our employees had asked to work from home before 2020. Many of them were like, can we do like a partial work week at work? And we just couldn't imagine it. We couldn't imagine that happening. And then all of a sudden in LA, everybody had to work from home and we don't even have offices anymore. We're like, this is glorious. We love this. We all work from home. This is how it should be for our kind of a company. It's just, it's so perfect. Well, I know Bob, um, you and I both have some questions about, and I'll ask one first and we can go back into anything you want to Michael, just as we have a few minutes left here. Um, I really want to see like, is there a moment that you could share with us where just where God just showed up big in your career, where there was just a transitional moment or a time that you could see him, your faith equaled something different than other people's opportunity. who would be in the same position without faith.
2: Oh, wow. Well, I would say that God continues to show up and has showed up, you know, many times in, in my career, when I was in college, I thought I was going to go into full-time ministry and, (laughs) Uh, intended to go from from college to seminary and got involved in the book publishing industry. And I remember a, just a distinct time God impressing upon me that His calling was for me in the world of book publishing. And and one of the things I've I've learned about callings is that it's more like an assignment, mm. and it's not always permanent. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, in other yeah. words, you know. And I think a lot of people labor under this idea that they got to find the calling, you know, the thing that they're going to be doing for the rest of their life. And I don't find that it works that way. For for me at least it's been an assignment that I worked on for a period of time and everything in my life, everything the way I view life is as a stewardship. And so my job, and I learned this from my dad, was that my job is to leave things in better shape than I found them. And I think God expects that of me too. So whether it's my health or my marriage or my relationship with my kids, or a company that I'm working at, I want to leave it in better shape than when I found it. And so God has shown up in amazing ways at at that time. I can remember uh, back in in the 90s, we had founded this. I had founded with a business partner, um, a publishing company. It's actually in the 80s, but in the 90s, we essentially went bankrupt. Uh, You'll appreciate this as business guys. We were so broke that we didn't have any assets to distribute in foreclosure, so technically we couldn't even go bankrupt. We were just out of cash. You know, we just, we just reached the end of the runway, turned off the plane, and we were done. But, but I can remember almost immediately, God took that ash heap of an experience, which was publicly humiliating, you know, we had people from our church bringing our family groceries and all that kind of stuff, but we turned around, my partner and I founded another business and we're off to the races and we were making money from the first month. And I, I, I just was astonished at what had happened there. So yeah, I mean, it's just one of many stories I could tell, but yeah, a lot of times where guys just shown up with the resources when I didn't, didn't see any way out.
0: I love that.
1: Michael, you're a prolific writer. You're a leadership expert. You've helped thousands and thousands of people. You've sold tons and tons of books. If you were going to leave our audience with just one nugget, you've already given like five or six nuggets that I'm taking notes on, but if you're leaving them with one nugget about incorporating faith into, into their business, into the marketplace, what would it be?
2: I would just say that the entirety of your life, it's what I said a moment ago, is a stewardship. Yeah. And you're accountable to God for it, right? And so I, I see Matthew 25 and the parable of the talents as a parable and a, and a metaphor for all of life mm-hmm. so that your health is not something you can take for granted. God expects you to take care of your physical body. You're the temple of the Holy Spirit. Yeah. Um, your relationship, you know, I'm going to give an account for how I nurtured and cared for my wife and children. Um, My business, how I cared for my employees, the kind of culture that I created, the results that I generated in the world, all of that, all of that is the totality of my faith. All of it requires faith. All of it is governed by scripture. All of it is is something that has to be submitted to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And so that's something I consciously do every day. You know, I, I, I try to begin the day, first thing, reading the Bible I've read through the Bible numerous times I try to read through it every year using the one-year Bible but I start with the scripture because I want to hear from God first yeah, then I want awesome. to pray and I pray about the totality of my life so I'm praying very specifically about my business I pray for all of our employees and our and their spouses by name every day because I realize that unless all of that is infused with the inspiration the breath of the Holy Spirit then it's it's wasted effort. You know, it's going to be wood, hay, and stubble. And, and at the end, you know, I want to hear more than anything, well done, thou good and faithful servant. So good.
0: Well, Michael, I'm so excited about your book, When at Work, Succeed in Life, or at Life, When at Work, Succeed at Life with Michael Hyatt and his daughter, which we want to have her on, Megan Hyatt Miller. We want to have her on at some point, but thank you so much for being a part of this interview. And now it's time for questions with Bob and Sean. Everything we're doing with our podcast is made possible by our incredible partners and financial contributors to our ministry. They are helping us to bring the equipment, to upgrade everything we're doing, to have the time and space to do this. It's a free offering we give to you. Maybe you're listening in your shower. Maybe you're listening in your car, your workout. Well, I want to continue to do this. I'm going to continue to have these incredible guests tell their prophetic process of how God's spoken to them so you can get a vision of how God speaks to you and also so that other people all around the world can have this resource at their fingertips from their smart device, their computer, their YouTube, whatever they have that they will have this this incredible resource. So go on the partnership journey with us. As a partner, you're going to receive an email and communication every month from us. We resource you with a partnership page that has literally dozens and dozens of messages that only of our partners have. We also have partnership co- contribution back to you where we actually give resources. You guys get stuff first. Usually at Christmas time, we have a new book come out. You guys get it before everybody else, and you get it signed. I love our partnership program. I love being on the journey with our partners because they are some of our they're a team. They're a family. They're the ones who are contributing to make this happen. Come be a partner today. Go to and under giving and membership, and you will become a partner. Well, Bob, we are here with questions and answers. I'm so excited about this segment. And we're actually taking some of them from our Marketplace Live talks that we have on Thursdays. So if we don't answer on Thursday to you or on one of these days we're doing a Marketplace Live, we might answer it on the show just like this. And so One of these is from Rebecca Charlson, and she has a a hyphenated name named Chuck Charlson. My question is for Bob and would be, what did you wish you knew when you first started practicing hearing from God in the marketplace?
1: You know, that's such a good question. And in our book, Wired to Hear, Sean, we, we talk about this notion that we're each wired to hear God in a different way. And as I've been thinking back on it, as we've done this project together, Uh, And and Rebecca, thank you for this question, because it's really important. I'm a practical, pragmatic person, and I think I can solve every problem, you know, (laughs) if I put enough brain power into it. And what I wish that I knew, what I wish that I would have started doing was actively listening to the Lord. Because my prayer life looked like, you know, I had a list, and I prayed to the list, and I prayed to the issues, and I prayed to the people, and like I'm a type A, I would you know, pound through that thing and amen. What I wish I would have been able to do is ask the Lord for the specific situation that I was, that I was concerned about and then listen. Mm. And, and so what I've found over the years is that God speaks in so many different ways. He speaks sometimes through prophetic words. He speaks sometimes through instinct or intuition Sometimes through wisdom of other people. Sometimes you hear the still small voice of God. Sometimes you're reading scripture and the, and the scripture's highlighted. And so my, if, I, if I could have opened my mind to understand that he was speaking all the time through all these different ways, and that I didn't have to sit in my prayer closet necessarily and wait for the answer, but that he was actively speaking to me through the entirety of my life, that would have been an amazing thing for me. What do you think, Sean?
0: I, I think you just answered it. I think that's a great answer. And it kind of leads into the next question we have, which is from on YouTube, Melanie Oda, from our last Facebook Live, or YouTube and Facebook Live. When you pray for confirmation on a big decision and don't hear anything, does it automatically mean not to do anything? Or if you feel like this is taking risk in faith, do you move? And I, I, I want to join those together and answer that a little bit because yeah. um, I think waiting is never passive. And listening to God is never passive. You're not just like, you know, it's not like a conversation where I'm saying, Bob, what do you think? And then I'm just sit there and listen until you say something, but I'm actively searching for the ways that you talk and I'm at, or God talks and I'm actively looking for, like, is there anything that's being inspired right now in my imagination about the Bible, like you said, or is there anything, a memory that comes in that moment that is like a kind of the state of mind that God wants me to be in to listen? Is there something that I need to do or connect to? Not that I need to get into performance, but I just, I'm active in my listening skills. And so a lot of times I feel like you give God a few minutes and you listen, and then you kind of go on with your day and he answers that <laughs> sometime later on in the day. And you don't say, Oh, this is that like the writer of Luke would say, this is that prophecy from the old Testament now with Jesus. And you don't do that in your day. And so you don't get the reward of building that connection to God throughout your day. And so I think waiting on God when you're talking about making a decision where you're not hearing anything, I still think there's something you can do. And of course you may have to wait and you can't maybe move forward in that direction yet because it's too risky. And you you've made that assessment. You go, wait, the risk reward isn't there yet. And God's not speaking. So I'm not going to do it. That's total wisdom. But even in that, you say, God, is there anything that you want me to do towards it now, even if it's not the direct step is there indirect steps. So for me personally, before I moved to LA to engage the entertainment industry and ministry out here, I came out three times a year to kind of scope out, find out what the other ministries were doing, find out what the faith-based companies were doing and met with people. And I did this Bob for nine years.
1: Yeah.
0: I wanted to move here every year for 10 years and I couldn't, it wasn't time yet. I was waiting. I was like, "There's a frustration in the waiting, but I said, you know, I can do something. And so my something was to come out here and spend usually about two to three weeks a year and just getting to know the lay of the land and people and go to, you know, I went to every kind of Bible study for entertainment and, every kind of, you know, conference that there was towards people who were in the industry, just to find out like, who are the other people and what are they working on? What does it look like? And how can I support them? How can I reinforce what God's already doing versus I'm showing up and saying, here I am, I want to do my career. And I want, I actually, it was beautiful that God built 10 years of history because I came to serve by the time I did come versus coming with answers. And that's huge. So I think in the waiting that there's a lot we can do.
1: Sean, you mentioned, uh, waiting doesn't mean lack of activity. And you and I have made a lot of big decisions. And when, when we have big decisions to make, we ask the Lord, but then we reach out and we ask other people, we ask our mentors, we ask friends, we ask people who are accountable. We're, we're, we're actively listening to hear what is, what is God saying in all these different directions. And I think when we have big decisions to make, you know, the first thing I think about is like, who can I reach out and talk to that is, you know, a, a person that I'm close to in my life that understands me and that knows my heart. And, yeah. and I, I like, I, I mean, I value that. Yeah, you do.
0: You're good at valuing that. So, and that's, I think that that's like when you're bowling and they put those bumpers on for little kids.
1: Oh, that's good. And
0: to mm-hmm. me, it's like when you have relationships while you're trying to hear from God, yeah, it's like the ball bump bounces out until it goes in, and it's going to hit something. You know, it may not get a strike, but it's going to hit something. And I feel like those relationships help us to stay in the in the lanes of, you know, of what God's saying, so that we don't get so far off, or we don't get we don't do something stupid or too fast or too slow. That's awesome. Well, we love your guys' questions, and you can join us for more questions by going to bullsministries.com, clicking on Ask Sean and Bob a question, or by joining us for one of our lives, which are typically on Thursdays at different times. And you can join us by YouTube or Facebook. Just subscribe to our YouTube uh, channel at Bulls Ministries or click on a like on Bulls Ministries website. And you're going to be able to know and get notified when these are coming on, which is very exciting. Bob, thanks for the show today. I think it was a good one.
1: Thanks, Sean. Thanks for listening to the Exploring the Marketplace podcast, part of the Exploring Podcast series.
0: If you enjoyed today's episode, please consider subscribing or even rating and reviewing so that more people can connect to us. Also, we'd love to be part of your spiritual journey and we have amazing resources at our website, www.bolzministries.com, B-O-L-Z ministries.com, including other free media, TV shows, books, and even an ongoing mentoring online platform. See you there.